Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. I'm Af Mohotra, the founder and host of Straight Talk. Once again, I have an incredible set of guests. And, and yes, there are a set of guests this time. It's not one person. I know we had two guests in the last episode. We now have three guests because the issue is so important, because the issue is so complex, because the issue deserves as much attention as possible. Now, the question is, what is the issue? So I'll start off by telling you what we're going to deal with today. And for those of us who are parents, who've had kids go to university, school, we care about education, we're education, educationalists, we are teachers, we are interested in this space, then here's what we're tackling. We're saying, we're saying at school, at school doesn't mean learning. So being at school doesn't mean you're learning. And AI, artificial intelligence, doesn't actually mean that things are equal, that it's a level playing field. And many of you know this, many of you have your concerns about AI, the dark side, the positive side, you're not quite sure how it fits into the grand scheme of things. And then of course you also know that sometimes your kid or your children go to school and they come back with uh, little knowledge or are below your expectation in terms of what they're learning at school. And there's so many reasons for that. I wonder whether technology, if applied in the right way, could address that issue, um, could solve that problem. So you don't need to hear me answer the question, but I'd like to, as such, welcome three distinguished guests to the show today. Uh, I'll start with um, Nick uh, Carinos. Nick's been on our show at least a couple of times before. A fantastic individual, a great um, technologist and thinker and ideator. And he's built a business with a bunch of other people called Sophos.ai that we'll tell you more about specifically solutionizing in the ed tech space, the educational technology space. So Nick, welcome to the show again. Thanks for having me back, Af. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. We also have Aliki Constantinou, uh, if I pronounced that right. Uh, welcome to the show, um, Aliki. We had a brief conversation a while back now and absolutely delighted to have you on the show. I know you're, um, you're someone who has a very special background because you don't just theorize and build stuff you've actually done it and you are a teacher you're an educator and you face the um, up up and downside of this period during covid where many of our children at different ages had to go into university or school and so on and it was just you know it was a mess for some people really around the world and a lot of what you are guess i guess you're doing at software is to try and address that issue at scale right so welcome to the show aliki <laughs> Thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting us. My pleasure. And finally, uh, Ken uh, Hubble. Ken, I've spoken to numerous times about uh, a lot of different products that he's designed and developed. He's a product man. Uh, he's got the genius that allows us to build, um, take AI and build technical products on the back of it. So Ken, once again, welcome to the show. Delighted to hear about this new edtech uh, solution that you guys have built. And of course, all the problems that we're looking to solve with it. So welcome to the show again. Uh, looking, looking forward to the conversation. This is always great. Great. Wonderful. So without further ado, let's get right into it. And um, I want to start off by um, taking your assistance in unpacking what I said earlier on, which is at school doesn't mean learning and AI doesn't mean equal. What do you mean by that? And um, break that down for us in as much detail as you can, please, because that would be super helpful. 
anyone. So Nick, you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think it, it means a lot of different things and you'll probably get a slightly different answer from all of us, but um, learning is not at school and being at school is not necessarily learning. I think that has uh, a num number of meanings for me. One being that, yeah, being at school doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're, you're actually learning something, right? You're, you're attending, which is a prerequisite. Um, how much you're learning uh, depends on the individual, depends on, on the school, the teachers, et cetera. But for me, it's flipping that around. And that is that you don't have to be at school to be learning. If you're alive and you're on this planet, you're learning and you need to be learning and you need to be learning not so much to store facts and, and information and knowledge because there's so much of it and it's changing so quickly that what learning for me is really about is knowing where to find the knowledge quickly, assimilate it, integrate it, and then use it. And that's what, what learning is about. And it should be a lifelong endeavor, right? So that, that's what that means to me. Mm, got it. Okay. Lifelong endeavor. We, we buy into that totally, which is why we created Straight Talk. So a lot of learning here. Um, Aliki, what about you? What's your view? Um, when you say at school, um, that doesn't necessarily mean brick and mortar at school, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it could mean be at school, an institution, you could be at school while learning online, right? Um, I believe that it's not about um, being at school. Um, you were talking earlier about the dark side of, of learning and all these new technologies and the issues that we've been experiencing in education. And um, I, I do believe that being at school is, is not necessarily correlated with learning because learning takes place um, as Nick said you're alive you should be learning um, and teachers and educational institutions do not necessarily represent um, what we would say is learning right because of all these complex issues that you were mentioning earlier um, parents, uh, teachers, the institutions themselves, uh, the problem of the mass exodus we're experiencing at the moment of, of, of people in education leaving the, prof the profession. So um, it's not about being at school. It's about the nature of the school, the nature of the education and the possibilities that have not been explored or achieved, mm. um, especially now because there are so many and People are kind of at a loss, I believe, um, either saying that, oh, we don't want too much technology, we want the brick and mortar, we want the face-to-face -face experiences, or um, uh, we prefer the hybrid way, or we prefer the home way, but I don't think that these are really the problems. Um, okay. People actually aren't, just one more point, haven't realized that all these changes have actually empowered the student, which is something we've been fighting for for over a hundred years. Uh, put the learning into the student's hands. Mm. Everybody is trying to control it, the parents, the institution, the school. So being at school doesn't mean learning because everybody is struggling to force, um, to force the learning. It's, it's more contrived. It's not we're not taking a step back and saying, okay, all these new changes have actually empowered the student. Now, let's see what can happen. Let's mm. see how the students take that control that we've been trying to give them for all these decades, mm. for almost a century, let's say. Mm. Mm. Can I ask you one follow-on question and we'll go to Ken because I don't want to stop the flow. But you raised 
quite a few important issues, which I'll, I'll unthread in a minute. But when you say two things, when you say teachers are leaving the profession, hey, I wasn't aware. So I know, I know corporates are leaving their jobs, executives. So teachers are leaving their, their jobs. Uh, why? Um, and what are they going to do next? Um, definitely can, can, can speak to this. We had a, a conversation earlier about it, but uh, teachers are leaving the profession because uh, we are overtired and underpaid. And <laughs> um, I mean, that's just, uh, I mean, that's just the surface level of it. Um, I, when, agree. I agree. Yeah, when COVID-19 happened, teachers were literally, I mean, teachers in Egypt had zero understanding of how they could conduct a classroom online. Like, I would say way over 90% of teachers did not know that they could go online and have a lesson that's interactive, engaging, and not just stand there and lecture. They had no idea. And that was just the other day. And we're in the 21st century. And, and teachers have suddenly entered this new domain where they don't know how to deal with all of this. We got over COVID, so now we're back into face-to-face -face school, but we are left with this big problem of now we have to be tech smart because our old way doesn't work anymore. So teachers are not at the level that they should be. So it's much more challenging. So we're more tired and more underpaid because we have to get all this professional development and we have to get uh, up to speed. And um, why not go into the corporate world and, and train employees or look for something else where we could be useful and get paid better? Okay. Interesting. All right. We'll talk more about that a little bit later because uh, that's an interesting trend and it can have major ramifications on um, the entire infrastructure, the setup. I, I don't know if this is, it's caught fire in a certain country or region and you think it's going to be a systemic issue globally. I have no idea, but we will talk about that because otherwise I won't get to Ken. Ken, what's your view on the uh, at school doesn't mean learning and AI doesn't mean equal? Well, one of the challenges uh, with, with, with learning in general, uh, but whether it's at school or at the office, is uh, traditionally, just because it, it, it seemed to be the, the, the shortest path to uh, results, and, and I put results in quotes, is um, push the memorization aspect of all this knowledge without the practical application, uh, we can measure memorization. Did you get all your times tables correctly? Did you answer all the multiple choice questions correctly? Did you remember the names and the dates? Now, those things in themselves, sure, they, find, they, 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 they form a foundational set of information to draw from, but if you can't apply that to something uh, to, to, to have it have practical value, um, and it's just an information repository. Well, I can go to Google for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so so you know one of the things that's happened over the time um, is that you know we, we shifted more and more into this 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 memorization uh, model uh, because it was easy. It was easy to track. It was easy to to facilitate, um, and it took less time. Right. Uh, at least on the on the surface. But then 30 days, 90 days later, everyone forgot the information that they right. supposed yeah. to memorize for the yeah. test. So, so that's why, you know, when I look at, at, at learning, when I, when I study about, you know, the, the practices that are in place right now, um, that, that is what I look to avoid. And so now the, the beautiful thing is that technology on the flip side 
is enabling us to at scale have scenario type learning, discovery type learning. Uh, the more that AI gets involved in it, you can track things outside of uh, the metrics for a test. Yeah. You can actually, actually see, did they get the results in applying whatever it is that they were learning that we expected? And, and so, so that data gets gathered. Um, that's going to become more and more important because it also, AI also allows us to look and analyze a classroom and say, okay, 20% of the class, this 80 20 rule, the question is which of the, which, which percentage is the 20? Right. And, um, and so with AI, we should be able to start mapping and, and evaluating people and students and kids um, at, uh, at, at the tactical level of, of applying this information, uh, especially with the internet of things. I can, I can tell, you know, who used the microscope correctly, who used whatever piece of equipment or uh, did the experiment and got the results out correctly. Hmm. And as a result of that, I can then identify, well, which ones do I need to help more? And with the shortage that Aliki was talking about, um, it's more and more important that teachers become more scalable and they need supplemental support from things like AI and, and advanced learning technologies. Um, you know, the, the, the issue that, that Aliki was speaking of is, 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 a, is, a, you know, is an oncoming crisis. And one of the reasons why is we have teachers that are being paid a third of what they could be making in the corporate workplace. Right. A third. And, and, and that's, you know, that, that's a huge factor. Not only that, the amount of information, the amount of knowledge and skills required to exist today in, in, the, in, in the direction of going towards corporate employment or just employment in general um, is multiple magnitudes more than what it was when some of these teachers were getting their degrees. Uh, and so, so these teachers are not, it's not a stagnant thing that the teachers are having to continuously upgrade themselves at mm. their own cost in many cases. Mm. And so we, at the advent of AI being able to support them as a tool set to help them gather information about a topic that they teach, uh, generate tests and grade tests so they are not worried about the mundane aspect of, yeah. of, of the classroom. They're focused on the children or on the, uh, the, the university students. These things are the parts that, that where, where when I look at this, I, I say, okay, the dark side is only dark if you let it be. It's really about empowering people to be better teachers, better uh, mentors, you know, better coaches, to, to evolve learning into the state it should be, not what it has been. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Something interesting for you. Yesterday I um, filmed another show with two very, very cool people, both professors at different universities, uh, one from Northeastern University in Boston, the other one from University of Arizona. Um, and they're both thought leaders in, in, in business management and so on. So we're talking about a bunch of things. One of the things that came up, which was fascinating, was um, I asked them questions about how are they evolving their teaching? This is at university level. And interestingly, they said, well, a couple of things. One, students don't read books anymore. I mean, just accept that, you know, I don't know why lecturers and professors believe that these, these students of today actually will be bothered to read a massive fat book. I mean, they might pretend that they are, but they actually don't. And they, they're, they're pretty certain. And I can vouch for that. 
So I said, so well, how do you teach? They said, well, um, the good, the great teachers, as opposed to the not so great teachers who are still using paper, PowerPoint, 100 slides, old slides that they've like copied and pasted for God knows how many years. It's really appalling. I was like shocked to hear it. Do watch that episode because it's so, so well linked here. They said, what we do is learning for us is now recommendation of podcasts like Straight Talk. So we, we take the stuff that is the best breed and we put it into capsules and we're like, right, which is why we're trying to become a learning platform in organizing our content on the basis of topics and issues and so on. So that's one. The other is the, the, they send them to articles like HBR articles, journals, you know, 15, maximum 10 to 15 pages, but actually three to five. And I, so I said, okay, that's great. But how do you know they know this stuff? He said, discussion. So less material, but deep info. And then we have an open discussion, more discussion, more discussion. And then I said, but what else? That's still not enough. It's all theory. He said, ah, the one thing we're desperately working to re, um, to revise, to reconfigure is bringing in people who are practitioners, you know, founders, entrepreneurs, people who do this stuff, not just the theory, bringing them in a very clear, structured way, not like, you know, random guest speaker. I do guest speaking, for example, and I've got a problem with that because there's no follow through on the stuff that I've left behind. I don't even know if the lecturer is going to say, so I've came and he talked about all these things. Now let's talk about that a little bit more. Or it's just like, did you enjoy it? Yep. Great. Fantastic. Have a good one. And apparently it's for good, good evaluation scores. I didn't know that. That's what they told me. They do it all the time. And then they said, uh, we need to institutionalize the outside in into the education system at university and so on. So when you talk about the use of new techniques, innovations, technology is one example. You're right, absolutely, I agree. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's what you do with the thing in your hand. It's what you do with that power. You're a bit like politicians. I mean, you can do some good or some very rich people out there who remain nameless uh, who bought Twitter recently and you could use all of that money to eradicate hunger and poverty, you know, I've got a Tesla, so I'm not complaining, but um, instead you do something very, very different. So ethics, morality, all these things come into play. So I hear you. There's one more, one more question for you, though, Ken, before we move on to the next bit, which is, uh, Aliki talked about these people leaving, teachers leaving. So are you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, a little bit like the big corporates, the top talent, the top talent, I'm assuming, I'm just making a massive assumption, like if I'm a teacher, and I'm leaving the job, A, because I don't get paid well, I kind of know that. I'm overworked, the bureaucracy's killing me, too much red tape. I'm so good at what I do anyway, and I do it for the passion and purpose and stuff like that. So I'm just going to go work for a corporation and at least have good money coming in, right? Uh, you don't have to sacrifice and sell your soul, but you know, you could move on to something a little bit more uh, compelling. Are you seeing these people leaving? Are you seeing a certain demographic or segment? Because I'm assuming that the ones who are best to breed, who know they're talented, the top talent is leaving. And if that's the case, that's really bad news. Uh, if the ones who are without, with the greatest of respect in the pyramid, who are not as, you know, driven by the purpose of what they do, and they've been there for the last 150 years. In fact, you know, they're like, you know, I've got experience, but actually I should probably move on. If they're leaving, then there could be new talent that could be coming into into a school. So I'm not quite sure what, what's going on. Is it just like everyone's going wholesale or the best people going and then getting replaced by another cohort? What's interesting, uh, at least in the articles and, and, and the, um, uh, the publications through LinkedIn and, and other uh, you know, uh, business and job sites is it's a mixed bag. And so, so the recruiters 
are finding that they got the, a mixed bag of, of educators coming in right. that are trying to transition from being teachers to being instructional designers. Now, I have a fundamental problem with that whole, you know, comparison and, 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 and you know, division of labor there. <clears throat> but that's a different that's a topic for a different discussion. Um, those with 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 true passion and 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 things like that that um, that finding a calling, um, provided they have the financial means to keep doing it, regardless of of their capability, they're staying. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's just a that's just a, a benefit of their position or their stake in life. Right. Um, but you know, if you're someone trying to raise a family. Um, you know, and, and, and some of the challenges that, uh, you know, everyone else felt, I mean, you got teachers that have kids too, that have to be, you know, in these virtual classrooms and you got three of them and they're also trying to teach their class. Uh, you know, they're, they're facing things that they've never had to face before, just like all of us have. Mm-hmm. And they're going nuts to this. I can't do this and make a living and make a difference like I thought I could before mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm spread too thin. And, and, and we have to, as a society, as a, as, as, as a, and I mean a global society, wake up and smell the coffee and go, okay, <clears throat> what we had been doing before in the you know, early industrial age is not working anymore. Yeah. And and we had a flash of that over the last two years with the virtual classrooms and and the impact that that made because all of a sudden parents realized teaching's hard. Yeah, if there was ever a time to sell teaching, and and to get you know get what you really need to have to be able to be successful, this is it. But we also have to transform our teaching methods <clears throat> so that it's not just glorified daycare in many cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's get the teaching job done and then anything else gets handled separately mm. because it's a different skill set. It's also a different requirement. One of the things I loved about what you said a few minutes ago was, okay, so, you know, if they're not reading books, what are they doing? Well, they're, they're, they're reading the articles, their podcasts, they're coming back and they're discussing it. Okay. Well, the great part about a discussion, and this is where if we can get the virtual or the metaverse or, 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 or whatever class type environment where you can have those social interaction, is that even if I didn't read the book, I skipped the assignment entirely. If I am sitting there in the classroom of my peers and they are talking about the topic, I'm benefiting from their learning. And there's multiple perspectives that are happening there. Mm. And, and they're all talking about it. And I'm learning almost by osmosis and, and maybe getting engaged. So the next time I do read the assignment and I do participate more, you know, that, that ability to have multiple views and multiple, you know, when you take notes on something, you take notes based upon your own experiences and perspectives. Right. Your notes are going to be different than somebody else's if you're not doing rote memorization, looking for names, dates, places. And by being able to share those ideas and by being able to come together, you're gaining more as a sum of the of, of all the participants than you are as an individual. Hmm. And, and and that's even if you didn't read the assignment. Mm. And that's the that's the beauty of it. Yeah. So um, so I love I love the you know th- those two professors are spot on I think in the direction they're going. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, um, I'll move on to the next bit because this is a super important bit because we've sort of um, discussed the problem at a very high level. We've discussed some of the issues that are stemming from, I guess, uh, one is the pandemic, but also the, um, you know, insurmountable sort of challenges and risks that have uh, come from this remote learning setup that we've had over the last two and a half years that we've been talking about for a long time. I guess what everyone's probably thinking now is then what is, what is the way forward? So you could have a thousand different solutions for you guys because of the genius that you have. You're taking the, the space of AI, you're using AI and different components of AI, and you're building different products, different solutions that can help different people in different ways. So um, tell us, Nick, tell us in simple terms, what is it that you think you're going to do now in the future? What what are you building really that's going to address this problem that you have all articulated? Great, great question, F. So I mean, this this is the the, the core of it. So we, we started this journey in 2017 for for one clear reason, and that is that the the way knowledge is organized, generated, curated is different to any other time in history. First of all, it's changing literally by the minute, right? The reason, I mean, there's a lot of reasons kids don't pick up books or most of us don't pick up books anymore is that by the time they printed, yeah, a, a bunch of the information then there's obsolete and, and no longer relevant, right? So this notion that you can take the world's knowledge and put it into a static medium, whether it be a, a one-hour video course or a 300-page textbook or some kind of L&D program or pull it into an LMS system, that just doesn't make sense anymore. A, because first of all, there's way too much information. It's, it's not scalable. It doesn't make sense to have humans curating and organizing that. And secondly, it's outdated by the time it's, it's published, right? Knowledge is living, breathing, changing, evolving by the second. So it needs to be a dynamic system. So that, that was the first thing we set out to start building in 2017. What is this dynamic system of pulling in knowledge. So whatever the environment is, whether you be a school, an organization, a, a publisher, whatever, whoever the user of the Sophos technology is, is right, here's the pool of knowledge we want to have ingested. And it's obviously constantly changing. Have that be pulled into some dynamic system, a knowledge representation, a knowledge database, if you will, that's like nothing that exists today. So it's not a knowledge graph. It's not a database, it's nothing like that. It's a combination of a number of things that uses AI, machine learning, deep learning, but it also brings in, and again, without getting technical, a lot of what we call the symbolic elements of AI. So it incorporates, you know, epistemology, logic, semantics, syntax, um, reason, et cetera, et cetera, so that you have a teachable, interrogable body of up-to-date knowledge that sort of self-resolves ambiguities that looks at the, the spatial and temporal aspects of knowledge, right? Because uh, it's true to say that AF at age 30 was doing X, that's a true fact. Now, the fact that you're doing Y five years later, that's also a true fact. So those two facts can coexist across time and certain facts can coexist across space. So again, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole because it's, it's, it's a long, deep technical one, but we, we've been building for over four years this knowledge representation system of storing knowledge and being able to pull it in with all the relevant integrity that's required. 
Can you get? Can you give us? Thanks, Nick. Can you give us an example, a real life example of how an X persona would use this, and why is it different to what, what's available today? So to answer that question, then that comes on to the second part of what we, we set out to build. Because on its own, you're right. It's it's what is it? It's, it's nothing, right? It's, it's you've got knowledge sitting there that's constantly updating. You might have some humans assisting to to ensure integrity, but we everything we do on the other side, which I'm going to get into now, is completely inspired by the Socratic method. So it's it's very much in line with with uh, perhaps unwittingly what your two professors are, are doing. That's essentially the Socratic method, right? So. Um, encouraging dialogue, discussion, um, and so on, and not just go and read the books. Mm. We want learners, and I'm not going to say students, but learners of all types, anyone wanting access to knowledge, in, to interrogate or, or interact with this body of knowledge. Let's call this body of knowledge Sophos through mm. a number of ways. One is ask it questions, right? Because there's no way I'm going to remember everything. I might do a six month course on something today and you know, I think I'm pretty smart and I think I have a very good memory, but every minute I'm forgetting stuff. I've, my understanding of certain things has diminished, perhaps become tainted. So if I need the information to use it in something I'm doing right, right now, I should simply ask. And it, it's okay to, to even do that openly, right? So if I'm in a work environment and a client asks me a question, say, you know what, I'm not 100% sure, give me a sec. And just ask the question to the system that's got the knowledge to get the answer. So, right, answers on tap is the, is the first thing. Secondly, it's to say, you know, why don't you just give me a three-minute micro lesson on this particular subject? I want, I want a refresher. And you get a summary three-minute micro lesson. So, third, can I interrupt? Sorry, because I, I, I do want to understand it myself. So, micro yeah. lesson, let me put it, so micro lesson, video, audio, text, all of it? It's, it's, it's audio and, and text, but you can embed, obviously, you can embed video and audio within that content. So you can link certain media files to the information. So it can, if it's telling you something that is best communicated through illustration, it'll say, you know, uh, have a look at this image and, and explain what the image is doing. So it's, it's multimedia, it's all of the above, but it's, it's ultimately conversational. The rest of it is purely uh, illustrative and it's really there to sort of, clarify and illustrate the point. Okay. So in addition to that, you could say, test me on this subject. You could say, let's discuss the subject, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you would then have a conversation with the system. Um, and I can go on and on about all the capabilities we're building, but the key bit here, um, F, is that what are we doing? What are we offering? How can we change things, right? We decided not that long ago, because we did have this aspiration of building lots of products, but, but even if we built 20 products, we would basically just scratch the surface. There, there, there's, we wouldn't get far enough. We wouldn't do enough to make an impact, right? So what we've decided to do is to say, let's take all this technology we've developed, right? Some of it from scratch. Mm -hmm. Some of it is using existing technology, but we've wrapped a ton of code around it so that it behaves itself better and it, it understands context, et cetera. Let's take these Lego blocks, we call them, and... We can do two things with these Lego blocks. One is we can, I can give them to you. So I can license a bunch of these Lego blocks and say, Af, take all of this stuff and use it to build whatever you want or let it sit on top of your LMS system or integrate just one of our APIs to add a new feature. Or two, you know, you know a specific domain. You might know the telecom space very well. We don't. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you've been in that space, you've got deep knowledge, deep expertise, deep contacts. We might say, hey, why don't we build a product together using our technology stack? Um, we'll handle the tech. So we'll mm -hmm. constantly update it. We'll improve the AI, the mm -hmm. NLP, the cognitive aspects. We'll make it better and better. You deal with the front end, the sales, the marketing, customer service, pricing issues, the whole commercialization aspect you own. You take it to market and it's the perfect partnership. So you either pay us a licensing fee or we do some kind of revenue share. Right. So our go-to-market strategy is finding the best in their specific verticals and horizontals and geographic markets. Yeah. So you know that space. You take us to market, but we'll just provide the tech. So we are essentially a deep tech R&D company, right. NLP, edtech, cognitive AI, neurosymbolic uh, integration research space that is right. creating these amazing Lego blocks with which other edtech companies. Uh, and, and by the way, when I'm asked, who are your competitors? You know, anyone developing NLP is a competitor, but my response is we don't believe in competition. We believe in competition. So um, we are working with other NLP companies where they've already developed something that we don't want to go reinvent the wheel because they've done a great job. So we'll use what they've developed within our suite. But then we've got stuff that we've developed that they feel they don't want to go invest time and money doing. So we're very much a partnership-oriented um, organization that's looking to, to let others take our Lego blocks and just build amazing things. And the ultimate beneficiary being the learner, whether they be a two-year-old that's just learning to read um, or an 85 year old wanting to understand what NFTs are about and, you know, uh, maybe invest or, or play or, or learn and, and so on with us probably um, shortly living into a uh, hundred plus years, uh, 85 is still young, right? You still want to learn stuff and do stuff. Mm, absolutely. So I had, uh, so I get it now. So let me summarize. So you've got, in essence, you've got a very clear focus on, uh, helping learners learn better with new technologies. In order to do that effectively, you're creating a architecture, building blocks, Lego block system. Reminds me a little bit of low-code, no-code to some extent. It, it could be in that way, which enables many people who have business problems or ideas or issues that they want to resolve to come to you to collaborate. And then you just essentially build the tech for them and off they go. Because of course, that's a, that can be a limiting factor for a lot of businesses. That I get. What I wanted to understand, though, was um, we all, as founders, I'm a tech founder myself, we all aware of what's going on in the tech world. Now, MVPs, minimum viable products, can be built like this and with just about that much money, as opposed to, oh, my God, all of my funding's gone into building the MVP. Like, been there, done it, got the T-shirt. You've got Bubble.io and many other products these days that are MVP products, low-code, no-code apps that you could build. You could build front ends. You've got uh, design tools, you know, coming out of everywhere, like from WordPress to, you know, you can use Joomline, the whole, the whole lot. You've got Python now, right, which is absolutely blowing people's minds. I mean, I'm very, I'm no um, genius here. You guys know this, but I'm educating myself on Python by talking to people who understand it really well. Maybe I'll come to you and you can give me a class on Python. Uh, and I'm starting to realize that all of these new technologies, Lego blocks, as you call it, are instrumental in creating this new future that we keep talking about. Whenever this future is going to happen, I think it's happening in an um, incremental way, right? And 
Um, you focused on EdTech, so I get that. Tell me a little bit about the low-hanging fruit. Tell me a bit, because of course, you know, there's the vision and the moonshot, and we can get to that. But to like, I don't know, a year's time, two years time, I don't know what the time frame is. Let me pose a problem, and let's see how we can unpack this. So I'm a, um, I look after a very large, let's just say school, right? I've got thousands of pupils. I've got one of the biggest schools around. Yep. And a lot of my teachers have gone last year, gone. So I'm recruiting for them and I'm thinking, oh my God, I've got to recruit for these people. It's going to take time. Uh, parents are on my back because they're like, what the hell's going on? You know, my child's education is going boop. And, um, and I'm trying to buy new technologies and upgrading my subscription to Google Classroom and buying more Khan Academy and trying to look at all sorts of solutions, but it's not really working. And I'm thinking, well, this is, this is not it. I've got to look at my curriculum and I've got to find a way to take the knowledge blocks in my curriculum and change the way I'm teaching my children. I'm being a little bit provocative, but maybe I'm not going to get teachers back mm -hmm. in those nine jobs that are vacant. Maybe they're not going to come back. How do I use something like what you're creating to help me now? Right. So th there's a number of ways, and I'm sure Ken and Aliki have some thoughts too. But for one is, is to try and personalize, individualize the curriculum to each individual student, number one, because you, you can do that when, when it's digital and when there is a one-on-one -on -one interaction. So you could say, look, this is the curriculum. We, there is a prescribed curriculum. Here's all the knowledge. You could just dump all of that and update its sources into the system. It ingests it, assimilates it, organizes it. You then give different students access to different parts of it, mm. and they can just have a conversation. And you know what? They're not going to get embarrassed by saying something silly to the AI because it doesn't judge. Yeah. Um, you, can, you can say, right, well, let's take stock and let's see what they understand, right? So you could do a, a, a knowledge assessment you could we don't let's not call it a test yeah. you could create a nice flashcard game on the fly using our technology where the students just get these flashcards they can get then go through the process you get an amazing dashboard that shows at an individual class level subject level as well as overall aggregate level what the knowledge gaps are what, what are their strengths what are their weaknesses um who responds best to a certain subject or a certain style of teaching, right? And what are their knowledge, strengths, and weaknesses? You could then use our tech to have the system suggest adjacent knowledge. So, mm -hmm. right, learning paths and, and, and uh, learning plans don't have to be linear. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. yeah. If I've built a core foundation of knowledge, the most logical thing to do is to suggest adjacent knowledge to build that contiguously, but from the inside out, right? So those are just some examples. Okay. Um, you could say, you know, while you're out playing or, or at home, just ask the system questions. If you didn't understand what the teacher said, I know it, the AI, in other words, ask me, I'll, I'll explain it to you. We, you. You might respond and say, you know what, that's just too complicated. Explain it to me in simpler terms. So we can paraphrase, we can, we can simplify the complexity. Perhaps you've used different language to explain it. So there's a ton of tools. Um, if I'm, for another one example is the whole notion of how engaged is the student? How interested is the student really? Mm -hmm. And I see everyone out there trying to implement um, sort of semantic and sentiment analysis, essentially, to try and understand whether they're interested or not. But emotion and sentiment 
don't necessarily translate to interest and engagement. So one of the things that we, we haven't released yet, but we're going to be building it, is an engagement engine that takes, looks at you while you're learning. So it, it looks at all your microfacial expressions, et cetera, while you're learning. And then there's a pre and post uh, lesson assessment to see how you've improved and how much you've actually ingested, right? And how much you've actually learned. And then we can, where the gap, where the delta between your knowledge before and after is, is great, meaning you've learned a lot, we can then say, right, what, we can use deep learning to say what microfacial expressions or sequences thereof translated into good learning. And when that delta is small, this, we can look for patterns to say, right, if these are the facial expressions during <laughs> learning, it means the student's not engaged. Um, not necessarily looking to see if they're smiling, if their eyes are bright and, and uh, open and really interested. What does learning truly look like at a microfacial expression, right? Okay. Okay. You can use that in a classroom and a teacher can be alerted to say, right, you know, the kids are not really interested in this or, you know, Johnny in the back there is completely disengaged. So change things up a bit. And I could go on and on and on, but I'm going to stop. But there's endless use cases. And it's not just in school. It's, it's across the board wherever learning needs to happen. Yeah. So is that, thank you for that. So that's personalized learning. And, and is that, a, is that in terms of, so I'm going back to my persona, right? The, the head teacher. So I'm having this conversation, sales conversation with you. So I'm like, this is, sounds great to me, Nick. So is this a software that you want me to buy? Is this hardware? How do I, how do I purchase this from you? Yeah, it's, it's essentially software. So if you have a system already, we can look to license APIs to you that we can integrate into your software. Um, if you have some kind of learning management system, we could have Sophos sit on top of that. So it learns absolutely everything in there. So in addition for, uh, to having students take the courses, um, they can then come back a week, month, day later and say, hey, I want knowledge on tap. Mm. What is this? What is that? How does this relate to this? Mm. Uh, test me, whatever. So it's something that sits on top of existing software, can be integrated into your software, or you could say, you know, we're a school district, we have 300 schools in our district, and we're interested in developing some software for our district that can do these five things. And then you're talking about low code, no code, our APIs are built, and that's 90% of the work. Yeah. So really, all you have to do is the front end and maybe a little bit of customization, which either your developers can do, if you have a team that does it, and we just license the APIs to you, mm. or we could give you a turnkey solution. Mm. And what about data? Because of course, that's the hot thing, data privacy. You know, you've got all these students, hey, Nick, you're gathering, and Aliki and Ken, you're gathering all this data about these underage kids, where they move with their faces moving, you know, facial gestures, when they got it right, at what point, and so on. Who's got that data? Have you got it? Have I got it? Have the parents got it? No, it's, it's whoever owns the system, right? So if it's the school district, they are wholly responsible. I mean, you know, our own products, which we put out there, uh, are completely GDPR compliant and so on. So, right. you know, um, we don't store personalized information. We, we, we know that, you know, this student knows X, et cetera, et cetera, but it's not accessible to anyone else. But if a school district buys a piece of software or builds a piece of software using our technology, they are responsible for ensuring that because they are the ones that will have that data deciding a do we anonymize the data do we store the data do we seek permission from parents yeah the data the, the onus is on them you know we are the technology provider we don't want to take it in 
other than to the extent that we need to, and we don't care about individual information, mm. to have the system learn, to have the AI learn, right? So mm. uh, for us, anonymized data is completely fine uh, and we can eliminate any sort of personally identifiable information within the information gathered. But mm. we just really are interested in the science, doing the research, improving the tech, but whoever owns the, the, the product that interfaces with the consumer, whether they be a student, a, uh, an employee at a company or whatever, um, they have a, a very important responsibility to ensure that they are going about it the right way. Right. And are you in a position where you can implement this stuff today or is that sort of down the line? Yeah. So, I mean, this stuff is, is, is a very broad thing. We're going to be developing stuff for the next 50 years plus. All right. It, it's a never ending journey because the, the, the state of NLP is nascent. It really is. Okay. Uh, I don't think we're going to pass the Turing test for decades. We might do it within narrow domains. I think we're many decades away from artificial general intelligence. Mm. So uh, th th we have, let's say, 20 Lego blocks, right? Some of them are at the white paper yellow paper stage. Some of them, we've done rapid prototypes. We've done prototypes. We've proved efficacy in certain situations. We're continuing to work on them. Others are at MVP production stage. So we have APIs we can license straight away. Um, the speed at which those get developed is dependent on two things. One, the complexity. So uh, some things will take 10 years to, to, to get ready, mm -hmm. but it's not binary, right? It's not it's not ready today and then it's ready tomorrow. It's There's degrees of readiness and there's utility even at 20% readiness or 30% readiness. The second piece is market demand. If, if a lot of our clients and partners and resellers and so on are saying, hey, we truly really, we need this particular assessment capability, obviously that's going to get higher priority. It's going to get more resource. Um, we're going to spend more time on that hmm. to an extent at the expense of, of other things. So the market will dictate the extent at, to which we, we apply resources to develop these capabilities. But it's been four plus years um, and we're growing the team. We're gonna continue growing the team uh, and we're gonna keep adding to, to the stack. But to say that all of this is solved and 100% ready in every area, that would be just foolishness. Nobody can say that today. It's, it's such a nascent field that there's a lot of research and work to be done to mm -hmm. be ready completely. What about the people factors, Aliki? So, you know, you've got all this cool technology. We just talked about the fact that some, uh, compared to what you're describing, what we've just implemented is super basic, you know, just like software tools to press a button, to sharing with the classroom. That caused, uh, uh, you know, a catastrophe and people, you know, teachers are leaving the profession. Heck, what are they going to do when you bring this in? So tell us about the mindset of the teacher. Okay, um, can I just give you a very simple example that yeah. can be applied today with the technology, with the Lego blocks that have been developed by Sophos um, and answer several of your questions. If I am in a classroom or a school that has a lack of teachers, I can literally solve so many problems just with one small technology. Um, and before I explain the very simple example, people are under the impression that a school needs to go and spend a lot of money and, and go and buy all these fancy tools and then teachers don't know how to use them and then it's too many tools and then students mm -hmm. don't know how to use them or they get bored with them. 
again, they're doing this top-down, you know, motion, which actually never works, in my opinion. I'm a very grassroots person. Um, with a very simple technology, you've got a lot of students without a teacher. You want to empower the students. Uh, every student will take the chapter, summarize the chapter in very specific language, which is the beauty of AI. Um, I was just telling Nick earlier, people think that AI is this thing that's going to come in and it's so clever and it knows everything and it's going to take over the world and all those mythologies about this big thing called AI. And it's a very simple thing. Um, AI needs to understand what you're saying in order to communicate, in order for you to communicate with AI, you've got to be very specific. And, and language is very complex, very ambiguous. Um, I don't know, there's over 6,000 languages in the world. Uh, there's so many nuances of language, there's slang, there's new things that get invented all the time. Students um, speak all kinds of, of language, but to communicate with AI, I need to be very, very specific. So go um, summarize this chapter, upload it onto test me or any one of the other Lego blocks, for instance, create a test. Every single student needs to create a test. So there's no teacher yet. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's no mm -hmm. teacher. It was an assignment. Read the chapter, create a readable text that can communicate with an AI. And when you've created your test, swap with your partner, take your partner's test, um, there's still no teacher in the picture here. Uh, compare your results and then go and try this out with two or three other people in the class. Boom, I have studied the entire chapter. I've revised it two, three times with two, three other people. I have then, after we've all taken this test, we sit in a circle. There's still no teacher here. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a Socratic discussion on that chapter. Still no teacher. One of the students will draw the web. Um, after the entire conversation and Socratic discussion, which can be filmed, recorded by the AI or filmed by a camera in the classroom, whatever it is that um, the system decides, um, we can then assess all the students. Uh, students can then reflect and the AI can pick up through text extraction or keyword extraction who's <laughs> got it and who doesn't have it. And then the teacher can come in and fill in the gaps. Um, I mean, throughout this entire process, the teacher could be just a facilitator or a voice or um, a person sending a message of what you should do next. The mm -hmm. teacher doesn't have to be physically present. Mm -hmm. And this has 100% empowered the student with a very simple technology that the teacher doesn't have to like go and do professional development to understand and um, the school has to pay a large amount of money for. Just go down to grassroots, empower the students, and that can be done with AI. It's like you said in the beginning, AI doesn't mean equity. Um, equity basically means you're not giving everybody the exact same thing. You're giving each person what they need. When you empower the students, each one is doing it at their own pace, in their own way, mm. and then they're using that to either learn from the more able, as Ken was saying earlier, if I'm in a discussion, I'm picking the brains of the entire class. I'm yeah. getting scaffolded by so many other students. So what actually equity exists in this differentiated environment where you've given a task, but it is naturally differentiated. And then I, AI can uh, assess how everybody's done in this entire process without 
the teacher actually doing anything. Mm, wonderful. That's a great example. Thank you for that. I was looking for that. It reminds me of gaming. I don't know if any of you game, if ever you, ever you've ever gamed before or you've done integrative, you know, uh, collaborative gaming but it might be basically just gaming for me where there's no intervention of any super superior authority or anyone in a position of authority apart from nine gamers saying have you got this right yeah dude i'll meet you there yeah fine and there's gamification there's points point losses and so on so the principles of gaming and uh, the idea of collaboration how go hand in glove as long as there's a common mission which is my question for you though which is yes you described that and the mission seems to be learning something that's not enough for for a student learning something is the duty of the teacher and the educational authority to say learn something will you because your parents sent you here but me as a student that's not my mission so how do you then augment that so this becomes re really quite gamified it uh, can be very easily gamified and um uh, you know, we have extrinsic and intrinsic motivators. Correct. Once yeah. you gamify something, learning just takes place automatically and it becomes the mission. I mean, uh, there are so many applications out there like Quizlet and uh, quizzes and uh, there's like, I don't know, 10 different ones. I can't think of them now off the top of my head. And you could uh, tell your students, go and play these games. Or you could tell them, take the chapter and create a game or a it's a mm -hmm. game actually, mm -hmm. um, a quiz for your friend or class um, so you have to create the text you have to create the the quiz with the specific types of questions uh, whether they be uh, critical thinking questions or just basic ones and the entire lesson will be a game and I've actually experienced this and how AI will be integrated into this because Quizlet, all these apps are other apps. Right. This is where Nick's idea comes in with the Lego blocks. Um, you can use the tech uh, with whatever else you're doing. So we're not telling you buy this thing because this thing is going to solve your problem. You can buy the tech or you can use the tech to um, combine with so many other things that are going on. So yeah. if students are in this classroom, I've actually experienced this before. Um, playing these games and they have to use uh, critical thinking skills, problem solving skills, uh, cause and effect, um, whatever it is. I mean, um, creative thinking, there are so many skills that you're targeting here and they might not be the student's mission, but they are going to happen. So right. you will reach your end in mind without the student even realizing it. I mean, students were like, um, they get into these games and then yeah. they are like, I can, sabotage, I can sabotage you by giving some points so that I can get, I don't know, some power to make you lose your next five answers. Yeah. It becomes a game. And at the end of the lesson, students are like, oh, can't we go on? Can't we do this more? Mm. And then you quiz them at the end of the lesson or the next day. And they basically know everything that they would never have known if you sat there with your 100 slide mm -hmm. uh, PowerPoint, never done in my life. But I've seen it in classrooms um, or teachers explaining. I've seen this in so many classrooms, a, a math lesson, a chemistry lesson, a physics lesson. It's completely abstract and students are just mind boggled. What, what is this? What does it relate to? They have no connection to what it means. But when they are given the chapter to create the quiz themselves, they have to figure out what it means and, and what is a real life application. Mm. So even if it is not their mission, like you said earlier, kids don't want to read. You can make them read 
make them read sounds uh, can't, can't say <laughs> inspire them to read motivate them to read <laughs> motivate them to read uh, motivate motivate them to um uh, summarize a chapter motivate them to take notes motivate yeah. them to do anything literally yeah. by turning it into this kind of game that is essentially controlled or um motivated by ai technology yeah i mean you know it's it just seems like everybody's thinking i've got to get the big thing and it's very complicated and i can't understand it and it's it, it's just so huge and we don't have the qualifications but it's actually very simple and yeah. this is the whole point i think this is what's what nick's vision is that want to democratize simplify so that it can be democratic so that it can be widespread it's yeah. not this fancy thing out there that no one can accomplish and and who are these ai people and and who are we the mere mortals to apply this complicated <laughs> thing no no it the complicated thing i mean the mere mortals are who it's for <laughs> mm -hmm. i like i like the i mean this is fantastic because now we're getting to the the core of it and we're also running out of time which is a pain um the, my final point to you and then i want to jump to ken for a second is um it feels like the positioning for this you know in the mind of me the head teacher in this big school is that you're not trying to take the jobs away of my teachers because of course i'm going to get massive resistance in the union come on my back to say again you spent so much money now more technology uh, da, 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 da. No, none of that actually what you're doing is definitely enhancement it's enhancing the existing way of doing things by bringing in really cool methods and the methods happen to be technological in the old days there were methods that were based with paper you know critical thinking and stuff was all methodologies and approaches and frameworks that's how we learned actually you just happen to now use the power of this ama amazing computing power um, and computing technology to um, actually do what i think is the fundamental thing which is make learning more personalized because i think the fundamental problem you know i've been a school governor for for many years and i'm involved in the education system it's like a common problem across every country every country east west you name it everywhere which is rebellion a revolt going on from ground up you know all the students maybe even parents saying what seriously like are you serious i can go into khan academy youtube da 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 podcast that's how i learn i just go to school because you've told me to go or my dad or mum pay a lot of money to turn up to this school and the attention deficit when you go into school is massive because what's on the other side in the classroom is frankly boring because that's the word they use and so they're busy on their mobile phones and so on and so forth they do understand gaming really well and that's just increasing which is why the metaverse is so popular in in some ways what you're actually doing i feel is i was thinking before it's probably you're creating a virtual teacher but not really actually i think you're bringing the best practices from everything that's out there that engages people i think this is about engaged i can't think of a better marketing term but you'd know better but it's almost engaged education you know because the, the i can tell you the opposite is true disengaged education right these kids are not interested in the curriculum it's boring it's old school old books you know that they do not relate to so i love that a lot and um 
Ken, I want to ask you this question. Again, we're running out of time, but I, I, one of the things my recommendation, by the way, is because this is all about doing practical things, not just having theoretical conversations, as you know, with Straight Talk. Um, definitely, you know, Nick, you know this, plugging into some of our network and a lot of our mavericks who are business leaders, educational leaders, entrepreneurs, I reckon there's a great opportunity for you to throw uh, the net, you know, the cost, the net, um, not wide, but, you know, make it specific and try and get some folks to help you test your technology, if you're up for it, that is. Yep. And, um, and of course, build some use cases and stories because we've got loads of people from education, by the way, in the Mavericks group. And, you know, whether it's school education, I don't know if you're going to play in the sort of university education space. But I don't see why not. It's the same principle. In fact, that's also totally busted, you know. So just the two professors we spoke to yesterday are crying out, not for technology, that's where it's going to go wrong. They're crying out for an innovative way to drive engagement and personalization. Whether it's technology, it's gaming, or it's the, the guy next door who's really smart. I don't know, whatever. So absolute offer to put this into practice outside of all of the you know commercial endeavors. Ken, I want to start with you as we close off. So you're doing this amazing work, and um, we haven't really introduced all of you and what you do. And I'm sure people can look at LinkedIn and check you out. So we'll do that anyway when we're promoting this um, episode. But why, why are you in this? And have you been hanging around this for four years as well? I mean, what's your why? What's your purpose? Why are you in this game? Like, there's got to be a reason for it. It's got to be a personal reason, no? Yeah. So, um, so I, I actually got started in this space about 30 years ago. Okay. Um, so, so I've grown up and helped grow up. Uh, the space around uh, both serious gaming, uh, interactive uh, multimedia, the metaverse, the first one, not this one that we're in right now, but the first one. Um, and, 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 and so I've, I've been watching and, and thinking about the potential for this technology and these approaches for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my kids uh, you know, when they, when they would see what I was doing, we're like, how come we can't have this in school? Um, you know, my, my daughter, I was, I was ill for a, a short period of time and my daughter had to come visit me in the hospital. She took some time off from, from going to school. She was here, but she still had to get her assignments done. And she figured out a way to have a virtual classroom, uh, back in 2011, I think it was, uh, with her, with her class, uh, multiple cities over. Right. Uh, um, and, and was achieving things. And she was completing her workload, her assignment load in four hours instead of the eight hour day. And then could spend the rest of the time with me. We played chess, we played cards, you know, we, we, we do things, um, and that was, and, and, and she was not only keeping up, she was excelling at that. Mm -hmm. and, and she was still communicating with her peers. And I said, there, there's definitely something wrong here if, if this can be done here, because that's a much more efficient way of doing this. We talk about teachers and, 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 and how they take a, you know, a, a thousand person school system and, and be able mm -hmm. to do it. Imagine if you could, double the impact of the teacher without doubling her, her his or her hours um, because I could teach some in the morning, some in the afternoon, whatever the, you know, however that works uh, because I'm only having to teach them for half a day 
And, and, and then you look at things like motivation. So, you know, I hear in, in, in the corporate space, I mean, I'm with, with, with one of the largest banks and, uh, and, and we get comments when we're putting out serious games. Oh, we don't play games. I don't play games and this won't work for me. I can't, you know, I can't imagine sitting there playing a game and learning something. But if you turn it into a scenario-based learning experience with feedback or mm-hmm. indicators of what's going on that uses gamification underneath it as the underpinnings of it, but it's really a motivation and a reward system and, um, and a feedback mechanism uh, all of a sudden it's not a game anymore. It's, it's, Oh, I'm, I'm experiencing something that engagement factor there. So a lot of this has to do with just the way we talk about this stuff. You know, if AI has gotten a bad name and, and it's the dark side, then we need to come up with maybe a different branding for it, but it's effectively the same thing. It's right. taking lots of data about lots of people and circumstances and taking that data and learning from it, machine learning, you know, building the models that then get deployed back out through an AI type situation. This, this allows us to do a lot of things. So I, I don't know if, 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 if you all are, are aware of this, but uh, I read an article that said, you know, there are optimal times during the day for you to do certain things in business. And it varies for each person. Some people like to get in, knock out their emails real quick. They don't touch them again until the the next morning. And then they write their reports and then they do this. And then they have their their lunches and conversations with clients and customers and things like that. Other people flip it. They do it a different way. With AI, we can actually map those trends. And we can figure out, imagine in in a school system where you've got students learning at the best time for them for a specific type of subject. I do math better in the morning. Great. Let's get you in there and you can do your math. Right. And then, then there's the context. So I learn math best when I'm building furniture or framing a house or doing something like that. Or I learn math best when I'm talking about sports statistics. It's amazing how many, how many kids can do percentages and fractions if you're talking about sports statistics but they can, but they'll tell you they will tell you to their face they suck at math yeah 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 that is, that is a that is a terrible thing because what you realize is that they have they have managed to disengage themselves from something they're actually very good at it's just the contextual framework that is being used Damn. ai can help identify those patterns and if you could, if you could, if you could get around the whole GDPR thing and actually do things like, oh, they play fantasy football or they do this or they do whatever, then then maybe that's a better model to teach them in. Let's Correct. construct the material to fit the thing that they like to do best. Correct. So there's Correct. a whole a whole set of opportunities here that we have barely even scratched the surface for, no. but the underpinnings the modules, the Lego blocks that we've been talking about fit all of these. And, 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 and they are foundational pieces that we will then build this, 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 you know, rather large infrastructure and set of relationships with other companies to really transform learning and education at all levels. 
Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I love that example. I can relate to it because I know a lot of people in school who love football or soccer, as we call it in the UK, and would follow some sort of team and they know everything. Like when they won the game, lost the game, the the cost of the player, whether the player made any money. And if you hear them speak, you're like, dude, you must be so good at maths. And they're like, maths, I hate maths. You know, and so bang on. And I think these are, it sounds very basic and it sounds like what, how do we not figure this stuff out? How do we not figure this stuff out when it comes to learning? You know, what's wrong with us? And I'm glad that we're having the conversation and you're doing something powerful about it. Very quickly, last couple of minutes. Uh, Nick, what's your why, man? What's, what, why are you doing this? Democratize knowledge and learning, my friend. That, that, that's, that's the number one thing. It's, my personal reason is that I, I consume a lot of knowledge. And it's extremely frustrating because if I could just show you my bookshelf behind me, I've got 50, 60 books that I've owned for a number of years that I've been promising myself I'm going to get. <laughs> but there is no damn time. There is no time. And I thought, well, there's got to be a better way. You know, if I could just drop all these books into this magic machine that just knew it all, and then I could just talk to the machine and it would just tell me what I need to know. It's as simple as that, right? So and then through the technology make it cheap make it simple make it uncomplicated personalize it so that everyone on this planet has access to the best knowledge when they need it how they need it understand how they're going to use it it's really all about that for me yeah can i give you one idea and you can throw it in the dustbin if you don't like it Um, we we uh, recently i had professor or doctor should i say our michelka Dr. Amishalka from India, he's a Nobel uh, laureate. I mean, he's got 44 honorary degrees. It's, it's pretty insane. Inventor and so on and so forth, many president awards. He's, he's doing a lot of things, but he comes from a very humble background. In fact, his, when he grew up, he had no money. But mother was doing all sorts of jobs. He grew up on the streets, so he studied under streetlights. And of course, now he is who, whoever he is. He advises Ratan Tata, the owner of Tata. Uh, Mukesh Ambani, the owner of Ambani, the, the big, one of the biggest families, uh, business families in the world. So he's doing a lot of good work around, uh, they, in India, it's always about mass population and affordability, always. But uh, affordable excellence is what he calls it, affordable excellence, right? Okay. And so none of that affordable, cheap, low-cost rubbish doesn't work or break, affordable excellence. You should absolutely collaborate with other markets. I know you've got your work cut out and you've got loads of stuff to do. If you really want to democratize, democratize comes from um, being able to give the poorest people in the world access to the best education. And um, I love the West because I live in the West, but we're not the poorest people in the world. And yes, we have our own problems and we're going to solve them. But if you can truly do that in economies where, you know, people are living on a dollar a day or less, now you're making impact. Yes. So just a thought, uh, whenever you're ready, we'll, I'll make the connects. Absolutely. Um, and you know what? Just, I know we're out of time, but uh, giving people knowledge solves most of society's problems, right? Because right. if, you, if you're educated, yeah. you can earn. If you're earning, you're not stealing. If you uh, understand your actions and their impact on the climate, you're not going to do certain things and so on and so forth. You know, it's a domino. I call it the prime domino. Education is the prime domino that solves all societal problems. So yeah, absolutely. Very keen to do that. Okay. We'll, we'll take that offline. And finally, you, you, you close the proceedings, uh, Ali Key. What is your why? I think I know, but you tell us what's your person's story, why are you here and uh, what's your reason? Um, I believe in empowering the students. 
that's always been my passion forever. Um, and I feel like it is the simplest thing, yet everybody complicates it. Mm. Like uh, teachers, educators, institutions, authority figures, governments, whoever, mm. always want to be in the in the driver's seat. They always want to be in control. But the minute you place the control on the side of the student, they thrive, they learn, they excel. And I believe that with everything that I am, that yeah. once you do that, it's done. And students in a very simple way can learn what we are complicating. So I, I believe that that sort of ties in very much with the next vision of, you know, sharing education. I believe it's so much more simple than everybody out there is making it seem, whether for the purpose of making money, whether for the purpose of being in control. Um, I mean, I walk into classrooms every day and I often cringe. Why don't you put the students in charge? Yeah. They thrive and they excel in ways that we can never, I mean, we are like dinosaurs in comparison. If you just give them the control, no matter what level the student is at, no matter how much the student is struggling, they will excel. They will inspire. So I'm hoping that uh, somehow this, I can help get that message through. I can see you writing a paper called, um, put the children in charge or put the students in charge. Um, well, one is a provocative title, but actually you can then unpack a lot of what we've talked about today. And I think you should do that because um, let's start with that first. And um, you'll definitely get buy-in from the students. That's for sure. That's one cohort who will say, yeah, I'll read that article. So um, listen, it's been amazing, um, you know, to talk to you all again. I. I've been privileged to see the journey over the last what, year and a half or two years from the first episode that we had with you when we first launched Straight Talk, Nick. Okay. And then, of course, sequentially, then you've come back and then we've been in touch and then we made some connections here and there. And now you've come back again. And it's lovely to see that it's all sort of coming together and the team's growing. And, um, you know, our job and my job, really, and which is why I do what I do, is to ensure that I can accelerate the awareness of masses and giving them, uh, you know, a perspective that they probably may not have had, addressing the unspoken, we're thinking it, but no one's really ever talking about it, and dealing with those issues right up front. And I've tried my best to be as open and direct as possible in my questioning to handle some part, a fraction of what people may be thinking. And of course, if they need to get hold of you, uh, tell us where they can come and find you. And are you open to that? Do you want to talk to people? Are you like, nope, not interested, we're on a mission? Uh, because it's good to know as well, right? So to uh, we, we definitely want to talk to people and, and our website's the best place to go, right? So sofos, S-O-F-F-O-S dot A-I. Okay. Um, reach out to us. We, we, we're all about partnerships. We're all about working with others where we provide the technology and they bring their expertise and contacts and network. And together we do some something magic. Okay. That's the goal. Okay, awesome. Listen, it's been a real pleasure. Before we go, really like 10 seconds, just some feedback for us. Uh, each one of you, maybe Aliki, you can start this time. How's the experience been for you over the last hour? Just give some feedback, good or bad. I'm, I'm open to it. I always like to do this at the end of the show. 
Um, I, I love speaking with you. You always ask um, the good questions. And um, I think it's, it's a great opportunity to really think beyond what we are thinking all the time, you know, to be challenged and uh, question our own assumptions, which is something I tell my students all the time. So it's wonderful talking to you. I feel like you're, you're definitely an educator because you, you do that. You, you make people question their own assumptions and it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I'll remember that and I'll keep trying my best to do that all the time. Uh, Ken, what about yourself? Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback on what uh, Aliki just said. You know, in the podcast I listen to, um, there are great moderators and facilitators that do their homework, that 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 have at least a fundamental understanding of what it is that they're that they're querying about, um, and and you leave. Uh, you contribute as much as you're taking out of this. And, and that sharing of ideas and information is what makes this worthwhile. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, that's, that's what keeps me going uh, because uh, it's, it's got to be value adding for you as opposed to thinking, well, I've got to go, I've got my next meeting. So thank you, Ken, again. And great to see you. And Nick, finally, um, a message from you, my friend. Yeah, I love the free flow nature of the conversation. Um, you know, I go into a lot of these where I know exactly what's going to be said and what the questions are and uh, I never know where you're going to come from and uh, love that. You, you have a great mind and a great purpose and it's always a pleasure. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. Lovely to have you all on the show and uh, looking forward to having you back again in a, in a few months or whenever you wish to talk about some of your early implementations. So thank you very much, everyone. It's Af Malatra signing off. Look after yourself, be well, and uh, may the Straight Talk Force be with you.